Well, again, good morning, everyone. And uh, we are continuing our series that we're doing on gospel essentials. And we're going to look at about a dozen of these uh, throughout the course of the wintertime, leading us up to Resurrection Sunday and really following. And um, this morning, we're going to look at eternal life. And if you were here last week, you got to hear something that we don't spend a whole lot of time talking about. And I don't know if that's because it's uncomfortable or for what reason exactly, but we talked about hell and judgment last week. And uh, we wanted to kind of kick things off, really get things rolling with this series uh, by talking about hell and judgment because they are real. And this is something that is going to happen. And it doesn't help us to deny reality, right? Just uh, putting it off, not paying attention to it because we really don't like the idea of it doesn't help us. And it doesn't help us live in reality, doesn't help us deal with truth, doesn't help us communicate the gospel. And for ourselves, it doesn't help us understand the gospel. And so that's really why we kicked off talking about that last week. And this week, we're going to talk about eternal life. And we're going to look at various aspects of that. And before we get to it, why don't we uh, go to the Lord in prayer and ask his blessing on our time. Father, we uh, come to you this morning and we praise you and we worship you. Thank you that we have gotten to worship you in song this morning and that we will continue to worship you in the study and the teaching and the listening to your word. Lord, I pray that you would be lifted up. I pray that you would be glorified in our time. Pray that, uh, Lord, you would help us to understand very clearly the message of eternal life from your word, particularly from the gospel of John. Lord, we look to you this morning. We need you. We face all kinds of dire news throughout the week or um, difficult things in our lives or difficult things in our relationships or maybe our own bodies or or those things can get us down. If we uh, if we focus on those things, if if that was all there were, we, we would be a dark and destitute kind of people. But those things are not all that exists. Lord, we come to you, eternal God, holy and our creator. We come to you and we submit ourselves to you. We bow the knee and we ask that this morning you would speak to us by your word, by your spirit, right into our hearts. Lord, give us ears to hear this morning. I pray that we would be able to set aside the things that the the bad news or the distracting things that we have heard this week, the things we've been dealing with in our lives or relationships or uh, or whatever, or maybe the things we're anticipating, or maybe they're not bad things, maybe they're great things, but they're distracting. We want to set those things aside, Lord, and we want to learn of you from your word this morning. And so I pray that you would help us with that. Speak to us now, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we uh, spoke last week about hell, a very important reality and and, um, you know, hell, hell exists because sin exists and because God is holy. And uh, the fact of holy God existing is, is crucial to our understanding of, uh, of the Bible, certainly our understanding of the gospel. And, uh, and so we, we spent time last week focusing on the realities of hell so that we would get a proper understanding of uh, exactly what we deserve by the the life choices that we've made, by the sins that we have committed, and also by the sin that exists within us, the want to, the desire that caused us to sin in the first place. 
And those things are real and they are a part of us. And, and in the face of a holy and infinite God, that means bad news for us. It means bad news. And we started with that bad news for a reason. I want to, want to start with everyone understanding exactly what we're talking about and what the stakes are. And, and so we, we're going to transition this week and we're going to start talking about the opposite alternative, alternative to hell and judgment. We're going to talk about eternal life. And eternal life, if you uh, will look it up in a concordance or look it up on, uh, you know, different search engines, there are Bible search engines. I wouldn't just go to Google necessarily. I, the one I use is ESVBible.org, and you can go there and you can search for phrases. And if you put it in quotes, it will pull up only those phrases as it occurs in the Bible. Helps you understand uh, the Bible in a, a really a, a new way. There are all kinds of other search engines. Blue Letter Bible is a, is a great one, and there are others. But I recommend learning how to do that because if you want to know about a topic or a subject that the, that the word talks about, you can go and search it. And, you know, back in the old days when we used to have books that were made out of paper and stuff, uh, we had, we had concordances, right? And I've got, you know, a concordance in my office and I never use it because it's so much faster to turn and, and type and boom, it pulls it all up and re- references it and I can click on it. And, and so the Lord is using technology to help me study. I know that. But if you look up eternal life, in the Bible, you will see that it occurs quite a bit, but it especially occurs in the Gospel of John. Gospel of John, 18 times that phrase occurs, eternal life. And so we're going to be looking mainly at the Gospel of John uh, this morning and uh, because he talks about it so much. It's apparently a very important topic uh, to John and, and particularly in Jesus' teaching as recorded in John. And so our goal this morning, what we're going to do is talk about and explore really what the nature is, uh, the nature of eternal life. We want to talk about who gets eternal life, and we want to talk about exactly wh- how one goes about getting eternal life. So that sounds relatively helpful, right? We'll talk about eternal life, particularly if, if your ears are still ringing from last week's uh, talk about hell. So first of all, what is eternal life? Well, let's open to, to the Gospel of John, and we're going to look to uh, chapter 17, Gospel of John, chapter 17. And we're going to see, first of all, first thing we want to learn about eternal life is that Jesus gives it. It's given by Jesus. So we're in the Gospel of John. We're going to look at chapter 17, just a few verses here. I want to read, uh, starting in verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words... He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. You see, eternal life is given by Jesus. The father gave the son authority to give eternal life. It's a gift of his. That idea of gift is going to come up again later, but a gift isn't something that, that, that you earned. You didn't buy your own gift. You didn't earn your... It was a gift. And eternal life has been given by the Father to the Son and trusted to Him to give to whom He wills. He's the one who grants it. And here we are towards the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. We're progressing through the Gospel of John. I know we're not studying it together right now, but he's getting towards the end of his earthly ministry, and he wants to make abundantly clear to his disciples what his goals of ministry have been. And there really have been uh, a couple ones that he's referring to here particularly. First of all, to bring glory to God. And second of all is to give eternal life to all whom the Father has given him. So Jesus is about giving eternal life. So first of all, 
What is eternal life? Well, it's given by Jesus. He's the one who gives it, and he gives it freely to all those that the Father has given him. Let's continue reading in chapter 17. He says, uh, continuing from verse 2, Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, right? Definition. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So first of all, eternal life is about knowing God. It's about knowing God. At its core, the essence of eternal life is more than just the absence or removal of death. Right? When we think of eternal life, we tend to think of receiving not punishment after death, but life after death, right? The, the, the life after, and that's what we think about is, is escaping punishment or escaping judgment or uh, escaping death or escaping suffering, right? But here, Jesus doesn't put it in those terms. Those things are true, but Jesus doesn't always talk about it in those terms. Here he talks about eternal life is knowing God. At its core, that's its essence, knowing God as at the heart of eternal life, which makes sense if you think about creation, right? So go all the way back to to Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, and you've got Adam and Eve created in the garden, right? And they're sinless, and their relationship with God is unfettered, right? It's unhindered, right? And they're relating with Him perfectly. They don't have any sin that kind of gets in the way. They're not ashamed of anything. They're not guilty of anything, they have an open relationship with God where they, they can love Him freely and without hang-ups, right? And so that's the, the state in which we were created, mankind. Adam and Eve were in that state, and they got to walk with God in the garden in the cool of the day. They got to chat with Him face-to-face. What must that have been like? And so it makes sense that eternal life after sin entered the picture and, and creation is corrupted and you and I are corrupted and we have that sin nature and that want to to sin and all the things that we've done, that God, when he's restoring us to eternal life, that he would bring us back to that point where we could have relationship, unfettered relationship with God. So eternal life is not just about living a long time without the fear of death. Eternal life is about being restored to that relationship with God where you know Him. It's about knowing God. It makes sense that if that's the state in which we were created, that for us now the most fulfilling and the most meaningful, the most satisfying, the most joyful state for us to be in would be returned to that relationship with God. And that's what He does in eternal life. I've heard uh, and read Godly men who, when talking about eternal life and talking about the reality that life and eternity means to know God, they talk about earth in a different way, and they talk about this life in a different way. They, they talk about it in terms of us being prepared or fitted for heaven. That uh, if the idea of eternal life as knowing God and having unfettered relationship with God for eternity is not appealing to you or seems boring to you, that it's because we, we need God to work in our heart. Because we don't, we don't understand the reality, the truth of the whole situation. If we think that sounds boring and we would rather have, you know, some exciting stuff going on, tours of the universe or I don't know what, we'd rather have some exciting stuff rather than just knowing God that, that really we're evidencing that we need to grow in our own understanding of ourselves and our relationship with God. And so particularly the, the, 
the, the Puritans and others would talk about the fact that part of this life on earth is getting to know God in such a way that you long to be with him in his presence for eternity. And that's a big part of what it means to be sanctified. I think that makes sense. We've seen that eternal life is given by Jesus. We can have seen that it consists in knowing God, but Jesus goes on, right? He goes on there in verse three, because he didn't stop. He said, uh, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So thirdly, eternity is about knowing Jesus Christ, about knowing Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul is going to talk about a very similar, uh, actually it's John, we'll get to Paul later. John wrote several books in the New Testament, right? He wrote the Gospel of John, which is a good long uh, book describing the life of Jesus and ministry of Jesus, teaching of Jesus. He also wrote Revelation right at the very end, another long book about the end of the whole thing. And when you figure out exactly what all of Revelation means, come tell me so we can both know, right? (laughs) But he also wrote uh, three letters. First John, second John, third John, convenient way to name your letters, right? First uh, John, second John, and third John. And so the same apostle writing in first John, talking about this same subject says in first uh, John five, starting in verse 10, and actually it'll sound familiar to you. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I didn't even tell Woody to read that. It was almost like God knew what he was doing preparing this. But the message there is eternal life is wrapped up in Jesus Christ, wrapped up in Jesus Christ himself you see very very often um, you will run into people who claim to be christians and talk like christians generally right and they're very happy to talk to you about god and about their faith in god and about what god is like and about god in their life right they're very happy to talk about god but for some reason they never get around to talking about jesus there was a guy who used to come into the Starbucks I worked at when I was in, in school in Chicago for a year. I worked at Starbucks and, uh, it was like being a bartender, except caf- you're doling out caffeine instead of alcohol, but I don't know. So people would come in, you know, just feeling awful. And they would leave, you know, jazzed up because of all the caffeine, but I really enjoyed the job, but we had this one guy who would come in and he came in all the time and he would, he would come in and he would sit right by the front door and he would evangelize. He would talk about God this and God that and God this all the time. And I got to, li- I got to listen to him a lot because I saw him every day. And, uh, and he never got around to talking about Jesus. He never got around to talking about Jesus. And I don't know why that was for him. I got to know him pretty well. But his, his picture of God was kind of like this grandfather in the sky. And he never got around to Jesus. And I think... Uh, there might be a couple of reasons why people don't get around to talking about Jesus. I'm not sure of this. This is just my my reading into it. But if you flip to Colossians, now we're going to look at the Apostle Paul. Colossians chapter 1. I don't normally flip around this much, but when we're on a topic like this, it's helpful to look at uh, what has been written in various places, particularly the New Testament, about this subject. Colossians chapter 1. 
Why don't people get around to talking about Jesus? Why are they comfortable talking about God? That's fine. And you could even talk about God on TV and be fine with that. That would be okay. You could be, uh, you know, an athlete or whatever and talk about God and people are kind of okay with it because you've not defined it. You start talking about Jesus and things change a little bit. Look at Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 15 through 19. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He's the image of the invisible God. In him, the whole fullness of God dwells. You see, when we talk about God, it's sort of nebulous and undefined. And you can define that how you want to define it, and you can define it how you want to define it. I'm defining it some way in my own head, and we can talk about God and all be happy. And I won't even get, you know, censored on tv or anything like that right or i won't get you know facebook's not going to take down my post or something whatever i don't know no one cares if we talk about god right but you start talking about jesus and all of a sudden i'm putting a definition on what i mean by god i'm putting a fine point on who god is because he's revealed in jesus he's revealed in jesus the one who has the son has life the one who does not have the son does not have life so Jesus puts a point on who God is. We start talking about definitions, and you and I can disagree now openly. I say God is revealed in Jesus Christ, and now we've got a fight, possibly. Hopefully not between us. But maybe, I don't know. But certainly, if you put that out there and on, uh, on, on, on Twitter or Facebook, or if you were being interviewed on TV and you started talking about Jesus Christ as the revelation, the one and only revelation of who God is, oh yeah, there are going to be some comments in the comments section, right? So that's the first thing I think, right? So Jesus says stuff like, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, right? That's, that's exclusive. That's not inclusive. That's not politically correct, right? So I think that's part of the reason people are happy to talk about God and not so much to talk about Jesus. Second of all, Paul continues. Verse 20. So we said, uh, verse 19 of Colossians chapter 1, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. All right, so we have just changed the conversation. We were talking about happy things like God and how he's an encouragement to you and stuff like that, and I ended up by talking about blood and the cross of Jesus and that that's how we are redeemed. See, when, when you talk about God, it's all generic and it's all fine. You start talking about Jesus and you start talking about the reason for s- the sinless son of God to come to this earth and live an obedient life and go to the cross to die because I put him there and because you put him there. All right. See, we just put a very fine point on what we're what we mean by God. And so. I don't know if that's why people don't talk about Jesus, but I strongly suspect that's the case. Eternal life is about knowing God and more to the point, maybe it's about knowing Jesus Christ. 
It's knowing Jesus, holy and innocent Jesus, God's only son who stood in our place to bear the wrath of God. And no one who rejects those truths has been fitted for heaven. So that was our first question. Second question, who gets eternal life? Who gets eternal life? All right. And I'm going to be consistent throughout here. You're going to love this. Okay. The fill in the blank just got way easy. <laughs> first of all, whoever believes will not perish. Whoever believes will not perish. So we're in the gospel of John now. If you flip back to John 17, keep going left to the beginning of the book. John chapter three. John chapter three. And I'm going to start reading in verse 14. And here Jesus is teaching. He's having a conversation. Look what he says, starting in chapter 3 and verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Whoever believes will not perish. The most famous verse in the entire Bible tells us very clearly who gets eternal life. Whoever believes. Whoever believes won't be destroyed won't perish, won't die the final death. And when most people think of eternal life, this is probably what they think of. They think of getting life after death instead of getting destruction after death, right? So uh, that, that's the first part. Whoever believes will not perish. But Jesus tells us much more about what the person who believes gets. Not only does he not perish, but more specifically, whoever believes is no longer under judgment or condemnation from God. He says that there in verse 17. And 18, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. So whoever believes is not under judgment or condemnation. This idea of judgment and condemnation is an important thing for us to understand. When when I share the gospel with someone, I'll, I'll ask them usually, I'll, I'll start by asking them something like, are they a good person, right? And who's going to say, ah, I'm a terrible person, right? Everybody says, yeah, I'm a good person. I'm better than this guy, right? That's usually the response. And I hate to be that guy, you know, next to him because you're like, hey, throw me under the bus, man. <laughs> but, uh, but people usually think they're pretty good, right? Uh, one of the most difficult things about getting someone saved Right is getting them lost first because they don't understand it. They are lost, but they don't get it. They think they're just fine because they think they're a pretty good person. And so what I do is I start talking about the Ten Commandments, right? And, uh, and, and I ask them, that, for example, you know, the Bible says, God says, you know, you should not lie. You ever told a lie? Right? I have had a couple of people lie to me <laughs> and say, no, they haven't told a lie. And I'm like... Are you serious? <laughs> You're lying to me right now and you don't even know it. <laughs> right? You ask them, have you told a lie? And most people will be honest. They're like, well, yeah, I've told a lie. 
What, you know, like two or three? No, like, I don't, I don't know, countless, hundreds, I don't know. Okay, so what do you call a person who tells countless or hundreds of lies? Well, a liar, right? That's, that's them answering, not me answering. And then I'll go through and I'll talk about various other of the Ten Commandments. But So what, what you'll see happen as you go through this process is that they begin to see, like looking in a mirror, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I don't feel like I look bad, right? I wake up early and, you know, and, and I, 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 you know, I, I feel just fine. And then I go and turn the mirror on, you know, the light on and look in the mirror and I see what I really look like. And I wonder how people can deal with me, you know, and, and it's the mirror that made that, made me aware that I looked horrible, right? And that's what happens when we hold up God's law <clears throat> as people look in the mirror and they see what's really true. And so you'll see during this conversation that people, uh, their, their countenance begins to change. The person who at the very start of the conversation said, yeah, I'm a good person. I'm better than this guy, right? Later on, they start realizing, wow, before God, I'm a, I'm a, a thief and I'm a liar and I'm an adulterer and I'm a, you know, all this like, right? They start realizing the truth. They looked in the mirror and their countenance starts to change. They start feeling the condemnation. They start feeling judgment, right? Conviction. They start feeling the weight of God's law on them and they see themselves in contrast to the law of God in contrast to God himself and their tune changes and they start listening to you. They stop defending themselves and they get to the point where they want to hear what you have to say because they're guessing you have hope because they just ran out. And now at that point, they will listen to the gospel. Not until that point. If you lead with the gospel, you're not going to get the same hearing because they weren't convicted. And one of the great things about who gets eternal life is that whoever believes is not under judgment and is not under condemnation. And thirdly, whoever believes is not under the wrath of God. Hebrews 10.31 says, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Boy, is it ever fearful. Can you imagine? A fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. As sinners, not only do we deserve death and judgment, but we are also the objects of God's terrible wrath. We've sinned against Him. We've broken His law. We've offended Him. And God has just and righteous anger as a response headed toward us. Right? That His wrath is coming towards us. We, we deserve it. But listen to John 3 and verse 36. I love what he says here. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Okay, we got that. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. This boiling, impossible to understand, incomprehensible wrath of God coming towards the sinner. And whoever believes doesn't bear that wrath. The Bible calls Jesus our propitiation. That basically means wrath bearer. Right? I sin. God's wrath is justly and rightly in response coming towards me. I deserve it. I should bear it. But Jesus steps in for the person who believes and he bears that wrath and he bears it fully and completely. God doesn't have any wrath towards me left because Jesus bore it all. He bore it to such an extent that now God only has favor towards me because Jesus stepped in and bore my wrath. So whoever believes does not bear the wrath of God. John, speaking in his first epistle, chapter 4 and verse 10, 
says this, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the wrath bearer. He dove in front of the bullet and took it for us so that we don't have to bear the wrath of God. We started this section by asking the question, who gets eternal life? And the answer again and again through here has been whoever believes in the son is the one who gets eternal life. The person who has faith in Jesus is the person who gets that. And this is the same thing we hinted at last week and earlier on in this sermon. Last week when we were talking about Matthew chapter 25 where when Jesus was separating, remember the sheep from the goats and you guys got to be the goats and I apologize for that, right? But Jesus was separating the sheep from the goats. He turns to the sheep and he says, come, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. Inherit. Not receive your paycheck, but inherit. An inheritance is something that you receive not because you deserved it, not because you earned it, not because you paid for it, but because of the benevolence of the giver. And that's what he says to the sheep. And that's what's going on here in this entire second point. Whoever believes, whoever believes has eternal life. He doesn't come into judgment. He doesn't have to bear the wrath of God. He, he, he gets to skip the wrath of God because Jesus jumped in there. It is a gift. Eternal life is the gift of God. It's the free gift to whoever believes in the Son, but how does that work? So we're going to stay in the book of John. Flip to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And I'm going to read a good portion of this chapter, but I'm going to highlight just a couple of things to explain how does it work. First of all, that first point there, it's a true life-giving relationship. How does one get eternal life? Well, there's a, there's a, a relationship that, that Jesus talks about. It's a true life-giving relationship. We're going to start reading in verse 25, chapter 6 of John, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me. Not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. So he says, first of all, do not work for the food that perishes. This is right after, if you look at the the headings, just above where you are, you see that he just fed the 5,000. Food was on their mind. Because Jesus had miraculously provided food for thousands and thousands of people. So they're thinking about food and, and they come to him and, and he says, uh, don't, 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 you know, you came to me because, uh, because you had lunch. I gave you a lunch, a miraculous lunch. Don't work for the, for the, 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 the food that perishes, but, but for the food that lasts to eternal life. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God. Okay, what's the work, Jesus? What work? That you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. 
So Jesus is speaking on a plane they're not catching. They, they're still thinking bread. They're still thinking he fed the 5,000. We want him to do that every day. That's what they're thinking. Give us this bread always. That's what we want. And Jesus is changing the conversation a little bit. My father gives you the true bread. Hint, hint. Right? My father gives you the true bread, which is from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Life, true life, is only to be found in a relationship with Jesus. It's in a relationship with Jesus where it's to be found. The, the people wanted Jesus to provide something good. They had eaten their fill, miraculously. And they wanted Jesus to do stuff like that more. Provide for them more. Make more free lunches. Make it so we don't have to, you know, spend money on food. We don't have to prepare it. Do, do this great thing for us. And people want Jesus for that, don't they? We don't tend to think in terms of give us bread, maybe. We tend to think in other terms. I want fulfillment in life. And so I'm going to turn to Jesus. Maybe, maybe he'll give me, give me fulfillment. Maybe he'll give me meaning or significance, right? Or we want the comfort that comes. Or we want the fellowship because we love being together, right? Well, he, he offers many of those things. But the true nature of eternal life and the true nature of being one who inherits it, the way to enter into this life-giving uh, relationship is, is entering it into it for Jesus because you want him. He's going to get way more explicit with this as he goes on. They wanted miraculous belly-filling food, and he said, there's life-giving food that's being offered to you, and God sent him to you so that you could have life. So you see, first of all, it's a true life-giving relationship. Second of all, it's an eternal life-giving relationship. Not just, not just true life as in significance or the way really to live or something like that, but true eternal life-giving relationship. And he's, he's going to continue. We're again in chapter 6 of John, reading in verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He's getting very explicit. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. You really like the idea of me giving you food. You want the stuff you can get from me, but you're not quite there. You're not quite getting it. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. And look at verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus is bringing it right down to himself, and he's talking about something much more than the benefits in this life of knowing Jesus or the benefits in this life of having Jesus do stuff for you. He's talking very explicitly and he's talking, he's starting to talk about eternity, raising him up on the last day. He's talking in big, big terms and he continues. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know 
How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the father except he who is from God. He has seen the father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for you for, for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus is getting very specific. He brings it right down to the very point. There's a lot of theology in there. There's, there's a lot going on. I, I hesitated even to jump into John chapter 6, particularly just for the third point. But here's what I want to get to. How to partake of the relationship. Because Jesus is going to explain it. How, how do you get eternal life? How do you? We talked about who gets it and what the... How do you get it? How does that work? How do you partake of this relationship? I'll jump back to verse 51 for just a second. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves. He's starting to fight. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. He has gotten seriously explicit. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And if you look down at verse 66, you'll see that many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him because of this. It was too hard. The beginning of the conversation was pretty neat because they were remembering the bread. He fed 5,000, right? And Jesus kind of starts the conversation on that topic and he starts talking about manna and stuff like that. But he, he keeps going, realizing they want the benefits the here and now kind of benefits, but they were thinking in terms of bread to fill this belly. They were thinking in terms of this life and what they could get. And Jesus wanted to change the topic and he wanted to start talking about eternity. And so he brought it right down to a very fine point, so fine that many of those who had followed him to this point up and left because it was too hard. Jesus, I was with you, but you lost me. I can't do this. I'm out of here. And so they left. Jesus continues throughout this, this discourse to use more and more provocative language, right? He's speaking pretty 
generically in the beginning. And he gets put such a fine point on it at the end that you're hesitant to read it to your small children, right? Because you're eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And what does he mean here? Well, first of all, he, he's not talking about the sacrament. He's not talking about the Lord's table. He's not talking about the bread and the cup that we celebrate. Of course, there are very, it's tied in, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is talking about something different. Jesus says the only proof that he will offer him, the only sign that he's going to give them, because they ask for a sign, what work will you do? And he says, I'm going to offer up my body and you will see my flesh offered for you. That's the sign that I'm going to give. And more than that, if they want to benefit or they want to receive eternal life, they must eat his flesh and drink his blood. They've been seeking this bread. They've been seeking manna. And he changes it on them entirely. And he says, no, I'm not talking about something to fill your belly for 70 years on this earth. I'm talking about the kind of nourishment that will give you life for eternity. And that nourishment is my flesh and my blood. But what did he mean? Eating his flesh, right? What, what is, how do you explain that to your six-year-old? Okay, we're going to eat Jesus' flesh and drink his blood. Okay, I'm guessing you're going to have some explaining to do. <laughs> what does he mean by that? Well, he, here's, here's what he mean, and this is, means, and this is what I want to close with. The way to partake of this eternal life-giving relationship is to appropriate, to make your own Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, appropriate that into your life in the most personal and basic and DNA level. Bring it in. You are what you eat? It applies here. Make Jesus your own on that kind of a personal level. It means that you come to believe and understand that the only possible means for you to have life with God for eternity rather than judgment and wrath from God for eternity is the shed blood and crucified body of Jesus. That's what it means. This is my food. How often do we think about food throughout the day? That'd be interesting to track. It's a lot. Okay, it's a lot. You either think about what you just ate, what you are eating, and what you're about to eat. <laughs> Most of us do, right? And he's saying, make that Jesus. So that you're thinking about him, you're dwelling upon him, realizing the only way for you to get sustenance is to, to draw upon Jesus. The only hope you have, the only nourishment you have, the only source of energy that you have, the only... The only source of life that you have is Jesus himself. That's what it means to eat his flesh and drink his blood. That's what it means to have eternal life. And that's how one can get eternal life is by taking Jesus in that way. It's as personal as it gets. You are what you eat. Jesus is your only source of life. Without Jesus' sacrifice for you, you would end up like the people who ate the manna in the wilderness and died. This is as real and as meaningful a subject as it is possible to talk about. 
We've been talking about the essentials of the gospel for some time, right? Eternal life is right at the heart of the gospel. And the only way to possess that eternal life is to take Jesus as your only source of life, your only means of appeasing the wrath of God, your only means of escaping the judgment to come, and your only means of truly and savingly knowing God and his son, Jesus Christ. Folks, let's cling to Jesus in that kind of personal way. That is the way to have eternal life. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you give eternal life. I thank you that it means knowing you and Jesus whom you sent. I thank you that you make that offer to us. Lord, I thank you for Jesus stepping in the way to bear the wrath of God. I thank you for him going to the cross because of my sin, because of my guilt before you. Lord, I praise you that I get to have forgiveness, not because I earned it or or figured it out or whatever, but because Jesus gave it to me. Lord, even now I cling to Jesus in this way, my only source of life. And I pray that everyone in this room would cling to Jesus in that same way as their only source of life. And that life lasts to eternity. Lord, I praise you and I give you glory today for that. Thank you for your word that teaches this to us. And thank you for Jesus who offers this to us. Lord, I pray that you would save each one here. If there are any who don't know you, I pray that you would work this in their heart, that they would see you as true bread and cling to you, that they would have eternal life. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.